Welcome to the Colors of the Dark podcast feed. I am your co-host, Alric Kane. As we discussed in our last episode a couple weeks ago, we will be taking a few weeks hiatus as we're both uh, chasing down creative endeavors. And so we wanted to keep some entertainment flowing uh, in this feed while we're gone. So every couple weeks, we are going to release an older, but starting with more recent, uh, Patreon episodes of our show Deep Cuts. Uh, Deep Cuts, as we like to say, is where the weird stuff goes, uh, while Colors of the Dark focuses more on the new releases uh, and kind of deep dive topics. Uh, there are no rules to our Deep Cuts show. It is where we go to discuss uh, what we're eating for dinner that day and what four uh, movies of obscurity that we have uh, indulged in. It's like where we like to hunt for things we haven't seen yet for the most part. They tend to be uh, difficult to find rarities and sometimes just uh, interesting movies we haven't seen. Uh, so this is a place we really enjoy doing this show, and I'd say if you enjoy these uh, free ones that we're going to be putting on the feed every two weeks, I would highly recommend you go join our Patreon uh, Deep Cuts uh, because we will continue to do that during this hiatus. We're going to do our best. We might have to do a couple solo ones, but we are going to try to keep that feed moving. So we hope you enjoy this and stick around and think about coming over and joining our Patreon. <laughs> And welcome to Deep Cuts. I'm your co-host, Rebecca McKendry, coming in from Winnipeg. And wow. with me is Elric. How are you doing? I'm all the way from Santa Clarita. I know. I'm most adventurous. You know, I bet it's a lot warmer there than I've probably been in Unfortunately, it here. is. <laughs> Unfortunately, yes. Actually, today, Winnipeg got up to into the 70s, which is pretty nice. The first couple of days, everybody kept promising me like, oh, it's going to get really nice. And it was like 35 and it snowed one of the days I was here. So Aww. it's luckily gotten a little bit nicer. Um, but I miss California. Good yeah. bit. Winnipeg's nice. It's really, it's a beautiful city. But um, yeah, I miss, I miss not $2 each avocados. Oh, wow. Yeah. So probably in California, they're probably like that now, too, because yeah, actually thinking about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they're probably um, two bucks a piece in California as well. Petrol costs so much that, yeah, you're not missing much. So you're good. That's actually been one of the fun things is I don't have a car here. um, So I've had to walk like everywhere I want to go in Winnipeg. So it's very much like, well, that's an hour walk. I think I can do it. And I've had fun walking around the city. That's been part of it is I'm like listening to audiobooks again because I've got an hour walk to work and they keep offering me transpo and i'm like no no i'll walk i get to listen to a book it's yeah. kind of cool that's how it was so. in new zealand i loved not having a car i loved walking everywhere it's the best yeah, um, it's been definitely nice but i have gotten a chance to watch some stuff and read some stuff as well um so yeah but that said i am kind of in winnipeg right now so if any of our listeners have cool places that i need to go in winnipeg i have discovered a board game store that was okay and a really cool music store called Into the Music. But if there are any other places that like I need to go or screenings or anything like that, please hit me up and let me know. Is there a Winnipeg like um, retro theater, like a new Bev Winnipeg? You'd think there'd be something playing if older there films. Is, that's what and I've Googled. And if there is, uh-huh. I have not found it yet. Like I kept looking for like like the Winnipeg like cinematique 
or, mm-hmm. or, you know, whatever's doing like underground, like, you know, 16 millimeter screenings or something like that. Um, I have not found that. I found some decent concerts, like Tears for Fears is playing in a couple of weeks. Primus is playing in two weeks. Um, but I have not found my like deep cut underground screenings. Yet. They're not the real bands. They're the Winnipeg cover bands of Primus. So it's, you know, it's not Les Claypool. It's Les Claypool. It's Les Claypool. <laughs> Les Claypool. Uh, well, I'm going to see him. So hopefully, hopefully Les Claypool will make an appearance. Some say it. he's even better. Uh, you know. <laughs> I but, am in the um, nosebleed section with the $20 tickets, but I'm still nice. super excited to go see. Um, so yeah, but I have gotten to watch some stuff on my computer, but I will say this is something that I, I was not aware of. International streaming. So the very first night I arrive in Winnipeg, I'm uh-huh. like, I'm going to sit down and watch all the stuff I've been watching and Amazon Prime or US one. I cannot stream anything here. I would have to join Canadian. Amazon Prime, which would be like, you know, a whole nother whatever Amazon Prime costs a year. And so, so far, the only streaming services, Hulu also will not work in Canada. Um, Disney Plus is not working in Canada. Um, so, so far, I am at the mercy of Apple Plus and Netflix. And that's all I can get to work here. My Roku won't work. So I'm just kind of um, trying to think so when I'm- I was in Australia, it was interesting because I'd be sitting there and Netflix worked my netflix account worked but what was available was completely different right i've been and getting so it that. was kind of cool it was kind of cool because suddenly there was all these australian films you couldn't find here or it was just different but yeah you're right like some things like shutter maybe didn't work i there. can't get shutter to work yeah i have because, that through amazon and my amazon yeah. won't work yeah so yeah and, and, i've definitely yeah. uh i've explored canadian netflix a good bit just watch all the guy madam films in your set you'll you'll catch up I'm using chunks of his crew. So yeah, no, um, I've I've definitely got good guy Madden stories and I've got a contact. They're like, oh no, yeah. we'll we'll see if he wants to have coffee and come by the set. So I'm hopefully he I needs really to be like a, an guy extra. Madden. I think so extra. too. Yeah. Um but I haven't seen him for a few years. But uh yeah, Tales from Gimli Hospital, that's a good one to start with. A good weird, very weird one. Um, a lot of my crew worked on that one. Okay. Yeah, I'll definitely that's, that's have to like watch the that. Earl, one. one of the earliest ones I definitely saw. It feels like a razor head kinda, like his razor head or something. But it's yeah, it's interesting. Um well, I saw some new I saw some new stuff. I, I a very fun thing. I the main thing I'm gonna run through when we get to it is my I went to the new Beverly nineties Harathon, so I'm gonna break mm-hmm. that down. Uh, that was fun, but I'll, I'll probably just quickly do the two new ones. I haven't, you know, like you, I've been kind of busy, and so I haven't been seeing as much new stuff as normal. But, but you um, saw Men, right? I saw Men, and I saw okay. one other one. So I'll talk real quick about those just to knock them out because they're not my picks. If this no, was the I want to hear about show. Men. Like I'm supposed um, to, I, I was going to go see it this Saturday evening at the um, Scotia Theater Bank here in Winnipeg. So. Yeah, I think you'll find it-, it interesting. I mean, like I think it's the smallest of his movies so far, in a way, uh, Al Scarland, but it's. And it's very specific, but it leaves you with way more questions than answers. And in that way, like where Lynch does, where I, that excites me in this way, it almost frustrated me a little, uh, but I really love the style of it. Uh, and it's so the choice of having Rory Kinnear play all the roles is so interesting. And it's kind of ultimately what the movie becomes. But there's a couple of times where it doesn't work as well as others. Uh, mm-hmm. Jesse Buckley's great. It's, it's basically a woman trying to get over. Um, this awful kind of end of an abusive marriage, abuse that you don't really ever know exactly what the abuse is. You see, you see the end of it. So you see abuse at the end, but there's obviously, I think that's one of the problems I never, um, I found it hard to care. Like in a, in the way Kubrick is a little cold, this is a little cold because you don't know 
much about how things were. And sometimes if you don't know how things were when they were good, it's hard to just judge it when you're only seeing the bad of something. So she's escaping that. She goes to this remote cabin and then every man she encounters looks like this other guy and they're weird versions of her. And it, what's weird about the movie is it goes, it is folk horror and you don't get that from the trailer. The trailer doesn't show that element. A uh, tiny bit. Cause I thought, I thought there was like a green man reference. Okay. If you, in the if, trailer. If you saw him, maybe I didn't watch the yeah. whole trailer. Cause I kind of closed I, that's my eyes. What I thought it was about was the green man myth. Yeah, so you'll get a lot of that, but a lot of it is more open. Probably if you read a bunch after watching it, it'll start to come more into focus. You know, it's that kind of movie. But that, that that's sometimes fun. I Look, it has mm-hmm. one of the most bonkers practical effects sequences in the history of movies in the last, like, 10 minutes. Like, unbelievably insane what they pull off. So that alone, I would be like, you have to go see it. And I love the style of film. It's just, I think it's a little enigmatic to the point where some movies are so enigmatic that they'll never you'll never be able to kind of like enemy but i liked enemy a little bit more mm-hmm. um but anyway definitely go to it but is it I, worth it to see in the theater i think so yeah because his soundscape and stuff is so amazing and the visually okay. it's really fantastic it's just it weirdly enough whereas annihilation was like this big movie to me like this big canvas this is the opposite it's like the tiny it's a it's it feels big in terms of like just great lush cinematography but it but it's small um, and it, but, but like I said, very enigmatic. I dug it, but I didn't love it. When I walked out, I was like, okay, that was interesting, but hard to get my hand around. Um, but it has horror stuff in it towards the end that people will, they should see no matter what. Well, that was my next question. Is this the standard A24 film where I'm going to watch an hour and a half of drama to get to 10 minutes of kind of horror? Or is this like, there's is pieces it throughout? throughout? Yeah, there's pieces throughout, but the, but the bulk of it will come, you know? come hard at the end um for sure you know um but i'll tell you the other new one just quickly so i'll get my new stuff because i've got way more other things uh the one i would recommend for like horror crazy people is the sadness Mm -hmm. is not going to be for everyone right like because it's so extreme but i gotta say it really hit i like i wouldn't want to watch it right today if i was depressed about all the terrible things happening in the news but i will say i I sort of you know a week or so ago and it was like there's something refreshingly edgy about it like it just goes all in it is like insane so it's taiwan from taiwan which is also kind of rare to see something quite this this feels like uh cat three hong kong at its absolute nuttiest and most grotesque and totally on pc uh Every every type of person is uh, could be offended in this, but in a way where it's like clearly motivated. Like the the point of the movie um, is misogyny and and not just again misogyny against men and misogyny against women. It's it's pretty insane. Like sexual dominance. It has because it's not just violence. It's sexual violence. It's everything you could imagine. It is really. Like you would, it's kind of movie you'd go call as vile, but it's also really fun in terms of how it's put together and made. So it's like, it's not like Train to Passan zombie film. This is the one where you're like, holy shit, they're doing that to an eyeball. It's that movie. <laughs> so, wow. Uh, yeah. Okay. And it's, and it's on Shutter. But I, I also thought it was great. Like I really did. I, was, I walked away going, wow, whoever made that hats off, I think the name was Rob Jebez. I don't know who they are. Um, but I was like, that's definitely in the top few of the year for me so far in terms of just going along. But the, the only fact I found out about it after the fact, at the bottom of IMDb, it said this, the film is funded with a mixture of cryptocurrency and revenue from a producer's cam girl business. <laughs> so, so that makes a lot more sense. Now I understand how this movie got made because that movie's not getting made. Otherwise, I don't know if that's true, but it's at the bottom of the IMDb page. So I want that to be true. I, I really do. It's like, 
And lucky they it's made it then because cryptocurrency wouldn't be worth shit now. So it's so like 1970s grindhouse funding mm-hmm. where it's like this guy's butcher service, this girl's hair salon, yeah. and this porn we shot while we were waiting. And so kind yeah. of perfect. But but mm-hmm. I, it, like I said, some people you know big big flashing warning for sure. But if you know what it is, I, what's nice is I when I post about it, I did notice there'd be a couple guys who'd write, oh, but it's so misogynistic. And then you know I saw multiple women write on it saying actually no, it's not because it's equal violence is happening to men men on men in the whole film because it's just about Matt it's like this virus that makes everyone um, rampantly insane kind of 28 days later but sexually is it, the sexual motivation is a big part of their violence wow so so it really doesn't feel like a modern movie. It feels like a movie that we, the kind of movies we tended to use to hunt for, for crazy, you know. Yeah, I was um, going to say, I think you just described Entrails of a Virgin. Like right, that probably, is, something that's like that. literally yeah. the plot of like that pinky film from like the 80s, which is like, okay, yeah, you know, Viewed that, is Deplorable. I swear that's like the plot. Um, yeah. Or I, Entrails, I can't remember which came first, Entrails of a Beautiful Woman or Entrails of a Virgin. They're basically uh-huh. the same film, but that's it. It's like a drug that makes people sexually violent that's like oh, taking okay. over the streets. And it's yeah. totally exploitive. It's pinky violence at its at its peak, but yeah. Um, this one doesn't feel um, that exploitive. It's weird. You know, you know. again, some people would view it that way, of course. But when I watched it, I was like, oh, it's definitely offense. It can offend, but it's it was just so kind of, it's also slick, which is also rare with movies like this. Usually they are exploitation films shot on 16 looking grimy. This is the opposite. Mm-hmm. It's like slick and big, but wow. it's about disgusting stuff. So it's like, oh, that's, I don't know. I thought it was, I thought it was very interesting. So. Well, you have piqued my interest definitely yeah. in that. I had seen a lot happening with that online with people um, recommending it, talking about how bonkers it is, which is usually my first instinct to go watch it. Sadly, um, I no cannot shutter. get access to my <laughs> shutter. Um, so for at least the next couple of weeks, I cannot watch the sadness, but it is on my list when I return. Um, okay. It's the first thing else? you should do before you hug your children, you should watch the sad. <laughs> Out of the way, kids. I got to go watch the sadness. I got to watch the sadness. Um, okay. So I read a bunch of graphic novels since I've been here, but there's one that I really want to talk about just because I think it's one that a ton of our listeners have been recommending to me over the years. And for some reason I had never picked it up. Um, It had always been just on my list, just sitting there, but I finally read ice cream man, um, Mm. which I feel it's been around for a couple of years and they're probably on like their seventh or eighth volume now. Like it's been going for a while. And on free comic book day, I finally picked up a copy and I read the first two volumes, Rainbow Sprinkles and Strange Neapolitan on the plane, um, the ridiculously long plane flight getting from LA to God, Calgary, and then over to Winnipeg. It was like 12 hours of travel. Go Calgary flame. Yeah. (laughs) I was there for um, five hours. And this is so because I was here with a work permit, they put me in this special little room um, for people who are here with special reasons to enter the country. And I'm sitting there and I am literally surrounded by probably 50 white dudes in camo all with guns. And I'm like, what's going on? And finally, one of them leans over to me and he's like, you look out of place. And I'm like, you're right, I do. And then he explained that it was the first day of bear season. And so all these guys had flown in, wealthy guys, because apparently it costs a lot of money from America. Apparently it costs a lot of money to come hunt bear in Canada. Um, But they pay money to come Hmm. kill a, a bear in Canada. 
Um, and so I literally got to sit and have a conversation with them for about four hours while going through wow. um, special customs. It was a whole, it was, it was a fun afternoon intermittently reading Ice Cream Man. So Ice Cream Man, this is possibly going to become one of my favorite graphic novels so much so that I've already got the next couple of volumes queued up. Written by W. Maxwell Prince. I had not read any of his other stuff. And this is a long-running series from Image. Um, It is different stories, but they are all about people when they are hitting rock bottom. Whether it be a criminal or a sex offender or a drug addict or um, somebody who genuinely has been like a good person for most of their life, but has just fallen on terrible times. Like when they are at rock bottom, this ice cream man shows up and will give them free ice cream. And it basically determines their fate. Like sometimes the ice cream will then take them on this path of like ultimate destruction. And it becomes kind of like a hell thing for them where they get trapped um, in their worst nightmare. And then other times the ice cream is almost redemptive. And it is so wild and trippy and it is bright and colorful, but it's set against this backdrop of just like the worst of humanity and the worst place that you could ever be in. He is clearly supposed to be almost demonic, but at the same time, it's not entirely demonic because he's also had every so often the ice cream does something really good. And so it's, it's, just it's great it is just really good and it gets so fucked up and so twisted but it's all this very kind of rainbow colored backdrop of people being given free ice cream is this version still clint howard or is he out of this Glenn Howard is not in this one, Um, but I can say kind of the best way I could describe this because it is this very 1950s um, ice cream man. And even the society that this exists in, it's it's a little kind of over the top and caricature. And as I was reading the reviews online, one of them said, if this was a movie, it would have to be a musical. And Mm. that I agree with. Like you read it and it just feels like this incredibly dark satirical horror musical that is just so over the top and squeaky clean and then just gets absolutely fucking awful Mm. um so i had a blast with these first two volumes and can't wait to keep reading ice cream man i can't believe it took me this long to get around to it everybody kept telling me i was i would love it and Mm. yeah this was just the light of my world for a couple of days getting through it I haven't heard of that one. I mean, yeah, I've heard of the film, so it's um, great. Could it be filmed? Does it feel like it could be filmed? Yes, too- it could. It's one of those that I look at and I'm like, I don't know how to make it marketable. That's kind of the bigger yeah. thing. Um, Cause that's always the question is, could it be filmed? Oh yeah. But it's going to be weird as fuck. It's going to be right. trippy. You've got this very 1950s ice cream man, you know, visiting heroin addicts, offering them a free scoop and then seeing what happens and how it plays out and what their punishment or redemption is. Sounds um, like an anthology thing. almost. It like is. an anthology film with all the, yeah. So the two volumes that I read, each one of the volumes probably was about four or five different stories. Like I feel like when it comes out as an original comic, that it is very kind of um, anthology-like when it is mm. released in the comic form where each one is about a different person and then this ice cream man. And he has somebody else in just the first two volumes, you get notes of this other kind of spiritual being walking around that knows him and knows what he's doing and is like, oh, you're still here? I thought you gave this up a while ago. So you get the idea that there are some other life forms like him 
Um, but I'm not far enough along yet to tease out that mythology, but I'm excited to get there. All right. Tonight's episode of Colors of the Dark is brought to you by Athletic Greens and their nutrition drink, AG1, a product that Elric and I have been taking every day. After months of being in quarantine, Elric and I both wanted to improve our health in the new year. So we decided to try Athletic Greens. It's a health supplement that actually tastes great and really boosts your energy. Plus, it's from New Zealand, which Elric loves. So what is AG1? Uh, With one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole foods, source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, all those things. I started taking mine daily right before my breakfast um, and before I started in with the coffee. So it became this thing that I was looking forward to as soon as I got up in the morning. It lets me know that I'm getting the nutrients I need. And after trying to choke down an assortment of homemade kale and quinoa smoothies I was making, I got to say the taste of this is great. It's got this wonderful lemon flavor. And it's lifestyle friendly, whether you are keto, vegan, dairy-free, paleo, or gluten-free. As you guys know, I have crazy food allergies, and it is free from all of the eight major allergens, which I was really impressed with. AG1, it's a small micro habit with big benefits, and it costs less than $3 a day, so way cheaper than the cold brew habit. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, especially heading into the flu and cold season. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. I take it like 30 minutes before coffee, and it actually has given me a little boost of energy, which has been great. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com backslash C-O-T-D. Again, that is athleticgreens.com backslash C-O-T-D to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. New Beverly Cinema was this month was doing halfway to horror, uh, halfway to October. So a, a horror This is all films from the 90s. None of them where we told what was going to play in classic Phil Blankenship style. Um, I took uh, my Pure Cinema Pod uh, uh, co-host, who I don't think I've gone to a movie with in like a year and a half or two years or something. Uh, we oh no, we saw we saw uh, Paul the uh, what was the new PTA film? But I was going to say yeah. those weren't words you just said. Yeah, but yeah, yes, I, I don't. I'm losing words uh, since since we've been on break. Uh, anyway, so we we sat down for this, no clue what we we're going to get, and what was interesting is. Uh, three of the four films were all films I had seen in theaters in either like my last year of high school or a couple years before it and had not seen since. So it was it was almost like having really weird flashbacks. Uh, so it, it was a good time. So it kicked off. Uh, definitely the one I think that t- brought the roof da- uh, down the most. And I remember liking a lot, actually, when I was in, I think this would have been my last year of high school. Yeah, 95. Uh, a little film called Hideaway, directed by Brett Leonard. The Lawnmower Man himself. Remember this one? Oh, even if you didn't see it, you'll remember who's in it: Jeff Goldblum, Alicia Silverstone, and Jeremy Sisto. Uh, this is a Dean Koontz adaptation. I saw it in oh, theaters. Oh, okay. Now it's and back. I, and I really liked it. Like I remember, like when I remember when I saw it, I was like, "Oh, this that was really good." Now watching it now, it has some Brett Leonard touches that are like 
as crazy as Lone Merman, where you have big, crazy effects scenes for they go on way too long that look like screensavers now. Um, but this was a Dean Koontz novel, uh, Andrew Kevin Walker script, and Neil Jimenez, who wrote River's Edge. So it's kind of an edgy script. It opens with a guy who is just Jeremy Sisto has just killed his entire family. Like his, his mom and his sister are like strung up and killed. He's like a teenage, probably a, like a, you know, heavy metal teenager, like the cliche uh, of the satanic panic, basically, because of just mm-hmm. all the decorations and what he's listening to. And somebody is running home. You know, like the father of the family is running home, but hasn't entered yet. And he's in his room, Jeremy Sisto, and he's, he's basically propped a knife up. And now he's going to off himself. It's such a dark ending. It's insane that this was like a mainstream release, like the way he goes about it. And then he kills himself right at the moment that his father comes home. You don't see his father. That's part of the twist later in the story, who that person is. But he's, he's killed himself. He's, it's, it's a, there's a pentagram. He's, he's done it for some reason. So his spirit suddenly goes into computer graphics, <laughs> which brought the house down. Everyone's laughing for like a five minute scene of his little face on a, like, you know, a serpentine looking screensaver flying through the air for five minutes, uh, and kind of gets lost in the ether, the spirit. And at the exact, you know, cross town, Jeff Goldblum and his family are driving home from some dinner or whatever, and they drive off a cliff. They have a big accident. Uh, Alicia Silverstone's his daughter, and Jeff Goldblum in the accident, his heart stops and he's dead for two hours. And suddenly, this amazing doctor, played by Alfred Molina, I mean, the cast is just so funny. It's like everyone, you're like, oh, it's that guy. Alfred Molina goes, well, I've done it once before, so we're going to do it again. I can bring him back. Two hours, brain dead. So he does something and Lo and behold, Goldblum's fine uh, uh, until he sees spiritualist Ray Dawn Chong. <laughs> Don't ever go see spiritualist Ray Dawn Chong. She's in here too as a spiritualist at one point. Anyway, he he comes back and he seems relatively okay, but he starts to have these flashes where he sees himself in these flashbacks killing young girls and abducting them and, and being a serial killer. And what we come to learn very quickly, because we've seen more than one movie in our life, is that a fact? <laughs> I was going to say, I can predict where this is going. <laughs> yeah, it's not actually him killing them. It's uh, this, the dark spirit, uh, a Jeremy Sisto character who's doing it. And for some reason, their spirits have like crossed each other. So now they're like, and but the dark part, and it's actually really cool, is that Jeremy Sisto can also see what Goldblum sees sometimes. So when he sees an address of somebody's house, he can go to that address and kill them and kind of ruin Jeff Goldblum's life. So there's, there, it becomes a cat and mouse thing between them. Uh, Jeremy Sisto's all into Alicia Silverstone, his daughter, you know, his daughter wants to get her. She's like very young, like 16 year old kind of thing. Um, and it's, you know, it kind of keeps building into a real mad dash to who's going to win. And Sisto's just pretty anarchic. He's just out for anarchy basically as a killer. It, but it's it, outside of the really cheesy, like huge effect sequences. And there's one at the end that is just outrageously bad. Seeing that at, at a theater is amazing. Like see, truly amazing at a theater at home. I would have gone, Oh my God, what were we doing back then? The rest of the film is a really good thriller. Like this is actually, I really recommend this as a, just a fun watch. And it was as good as I remembered. Um, definitely best of the movies. We watched that last night, that night. Um, anyway, so that I do recommend. I'll quickly go through the others. Uh, next up, I, in 93, I was, Still in high school and Warlock 2, the Armageddon. Uh, Warlock 2 is amazing. I saw that in the theater and no one could believe me afterwards. I was like, oh no, I remember because I loved Warlock 1 so much on VHS that when Warlock 2 hit theaters, I, I don't, I must have been 14, 13 or something. I went to it and I was, I was so disappointed at the time. Like when I was that age, I did not really care for it. And it's still totally ridiculous, but it was so much fun. This is Anthony Hickox, who's always fun. Um, 
I would say like the last half of it is really quite dumb in a lot of ways and it's all about <laughs> druids and Archie Armstrong and Bruce Glover and all these ridiculous things but the first 20 minutes is like Julian, yeah Julian Sands being born by this woman is like extra crazy like it is crazy practical effects it, it like shit I just didn't remember at all it, it was really fun and this was a perfect way to watch this movie uh you know obviously I'd recommend Warlock 1 first I think the people who put up 2 didn't realize that Richard E. Grant was a big part of why 1 is good I think they're like we got Julian Sands that's all we need it's like actually oh I uh, don't know I think Julian Sands amazing in the first one well you know he's amazing they're both good I'm just saying I don't know if he was enough to carry yeah he definitely is not the protagonist of the first one like it's always cut away to Julian Sands he's like cutting off somebody's finger and things like that or flying up the roof or whatever it's not we're not with him the whole film but it does feel like a movie that ran out of money with each additional minute. Like every minute, it feels like the effects get a little like by the end, you're just watching like effects that aren't quite as finished and polished as what you're watching at the start in my mind. Um, But you know, it's okay. It's okay. It's fun. So, so obviously big, they're big fun ones to watch in a theater. I think the next one wasn't as, it's a really good movie, but it's not as fun and kind of maybe changed the mood a little, which is uh, our buddy of our show, Rodman Flender, his early film, the unborn, which Uh uh, is a really interesting, dark kind of character piece really with Brooke I own Adams. an yeah. unborn t-shirt from the original oh. release that he gave me when I was pregnant oh um, that's awesome oh, that, oh that's right I, that's perfect yeah 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 he brought it to me um at horror trivia one night and I was so excited about it I like the unborn I yeah, like at the movie. end when the baby's crawling up to the top of the mountain with the knife in its yeah. hand I love those that parts scene. are bonkers it's like it's a very <laughs> serious movie for like mm-hmm. you know seven out of ten m- m- beats but that Brooke Adams as a you know an older woman trying to have a baby basically and james karen's an evil doctor kathy griffin's a she's a gay prenatal uh it's like it's some version of a prenatal instructor thing that's just and it's really over the top and funny but uh but when it goes to the crazy baby stuff and there's a part where somebody's like shooting with a shotgun like fetuses (laughs) it felt very now given all the problems with america it was like watching that image was like wow there's an image um but but it was cool uh, to see, I mean, to see that on a big screen was really cool because that's the only one I hadn't seen on a screen. Um, and then it, and then it was like one a.m., maybe twelve thirty. And then the last movie came up, and I was like, "Am I going to stay for this?" Because it's uh, Becca' favorite disturbing behavior. David Nutter. Oh shit! Yes, you yep. are staying so, for that. So one of my first year, uh, first years in college, and I remember this one very well, and I liked it a lot. I haven't seen it since, but you had talked about it on the '90s one. I decided after about five minutes, like, no, I should probably drive home, and then. It was like, nope, 60 minutes in, I'm in, oh, man. Yeah. This movie Dawson's rules. Dawson's Creek goes skanky. That yep. one's so good. Yeah, James Marsden, uh, Katie Holmes, Nick Stahl. Bruce, it, no, it's just fun. And, and it, again, kind of tied back into our whole conversation a couple weeks back on um, all the different versions of body snatcher movies because it's mm-hmm. really it really is just like those movies they just happen to be something different if i uh, remember but, correctly that was actually written as an x-files episode and uh, then extended um, i think you're right because it's david nutter yeah yeah he had it been written as an x-files episode and when x-files chose not to do it he was like fuck it i'll make it into a movie or something to that extent i know it started with x-files um, Interesting. Or it may have been like his one of his original pitches with that. Yeah. So it, it, then it definitely extended past that um, and became its own thing. But yeah, but I, I always loved it. It's, that a, it's one. a good movie. It's actually really well made. Like it's tight and it doesn't. I mean, it was like 80 
five minutes or something. So it just like mm-hmm. kind of was perfect in. So so I was still going home by two ish. So not a not a terrible. It wasn't an all night all nighter. So it was it was a good one. But was, yeah, I mean, it is funny to think that mo- the nineties for us, like people of our generation, the nineties feel like six months ago like you know in your brain you're like oh yeah the 90s that's recent and then you look on paper and go oh my god that is so long ago how did that happen where where did time go uh so when i'm watching especially when i was watching like um hideaway and i'm like oh my god that's 95 is not as recent as it is in my brain you know what i mean so uh so anyway it was a good time those those four movies if you haven't seen any of them uh i'd say they're all worth a watch thank you old man kane i know right i got Um, a few months on you you got a couple months on me. Yeah. That's about it. I'm yeah. around in the base. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, um, because I'm at the mercy of Netflix Canada, decided to check out a TV show on Netflix that I had been meaning to watch for a while. It's not exactly a TV show. It's a limited series. It's eight episodes called Furia, The Darkest Light. Never and this is a it. Spanish. Um, <laughs> oh, okay. It's a Spanish thriller, horror, fantasy show. Uh-huh. Um that I'd had on my queue for a long time. It's set in 1990s Andalusia, which is in Spain. Um, and this is the one I texted you about because uh, I'll get into the details of the of the show, but kind of the most amazing thing of the first episode is that literally in like the first 10 minutes, one of the teen boys rolls in and he's like, yeah, man, it's like aliens are attacking. Like that scene from Society when that kid first discovers his al- his parents are aliens and they're talking about it like they're basically describing Scream. Like all the teens that he's talking to are like, yeah, man, that's a crazy scene. And then Smash got like... 20 minutes later, they're all at a party watching society together. (laughs) And it was the weirdest thing for me where I'm like, did society like do gangbusters in Spain where like they're referencing it the same way that we would like scenes from Friday the 13th or Nightmare on Elm Street. Like, yeah, I I mean, don't you remember his face when he discovered his parents are aliens and all the teens are just like, yeah. Yeah, I remember that. So, it shows the impact of um of the of its director because didn't he? Yuzna uh, <laughs> spent a lot of time making things in Spain after that, probably. So he who knows? Did I maybe don't know? If maybe society had like a bigger release in Spain, but that was definitely. I, I even texted Elric while we were while yeah. I was watching that, where I was like, I am watching this thing on Netflix that is talking about society, like it's this like great memorable eighties movie in Spain. And they're right, yeah, finally, and they're right. right, finally. <laughs> um. So yes, that look that he gave when he discovered his parents were aliens and here's how it relates back symbolically to the movie Uh um theory of the darkest light is about this tiny little burg it's like a suburban town in 1990s andalusia spain and our protagonists are two teen girls who one night they go to this like bonfire party with all of their high school friends and it's basically just about their high school drama and while they are gone that night their parents go missing and they have no idea what's going on. All of a sudden, the um, kind of Spanish version of FBI shows up at their door and is like, okay, here's what happened. Some shit went down last night. We got to talk to you about their your parents. Their parents and like 20 some other members of this town walked into a mine, a mine that does not have oxygen in it, like a shut down mine. Mm started asphyxiating, took off all their clothes, walked out and died at the entrance. And Mm. no one knows why they did this. 24 people went in, 23 people came out and died upon exiting. The one person who did not come back out was their mom. Their dad died. Their Mm. mom 
they think, oh, well, she must still be in the mine. And she's not. They've searched the whole mine. So then it becomes a question of, well, what happened to mom? And who were all these people? And what compelled all of the adults in the town to to get naked, walk into a mine, die, and then come stumbling back out and die Mm -hmm. at the entrance to the mine? And so hell of a hook for the opening um, because now it's these two teen girls who are kind of, you know, left to their own devices. One of them is very much like this was a tragedy. We don't know what happens. We should move on. And the other one is very much like, no, I want to find out what the fuck happened to mom. And what you find out very quickly in the, basically in the first episode, this is all happening within like the first half an hour is that there was a cult in town. We'll call it a satanicish cult. Although I don't think they ever use the phrase Satan in this. Um, there is a cult in the town, many of whom still exist. It's very much a prominent thing that we're trying to open a crossway to the kingdom is what they mm. call it. But it's basically hell. They were trying to open an other world to hell. So now they found out that their parents are in this cult. And what they think has happened is that mom has actually crossed over into hell. Hmm. And so then um, they meet all these other weirdo cult members. It becomes kind of a research film where they're trying to gather as much information as possible. And it goes from there of one girl trying to ignore everything that's going on while she is having these fucking terrible hallucinations of the cult and what happened to her mom and where her mom is now. And then the other one who is not exactly hallucinating, but is going down this dark path of basically giving herself to the cult in hopes of seeing her mom again. And so this one was actually pretty cool. Like I, I ended up watching the first three episodes in one night because I was so kind of in on the hook. Um, it's still, it, it functions kind of YA because your protagonist is a 15, 14 year old girl. And most of the time you're spending with her friends. So it does feel kind of YA horror. It does not get like totally gory or anything like that. Okay. It's got naked people because they come stumbling out and die naked. <clears throat> but it it does have um, a YA feel to it. The CG effects, it's got some iffy CG effects where it kind of pulled me out at times. Um, but some of the cult stuff, like when they're with all the cult members and some of the rituals, like it's some genuinely unnerving stuff. This one I actually found um, pretty captivating. I ended up watching all eight episodes over like three nights because I was pretty hooked. Did you um that one that one sounds like something I might dig. Uh did and you And it is oh, streaming in the US as well. I looked. Did you continue watching Staircase? I've I've only seen the one episode so far, but So I did three episodes of Staircase and then I decided to start watching the Staircase documentary. Uh-huh, yeah. And then that was like a 10-hour deep dive into the Staircase yeah. documentary. I mean it's amazing. That And that's when I left and I can't uh, access my HBO to get back into the actual show now. Yeah, I'm not um, going to go so, into it, but I, I will say, having seen when you see the staircase dock, I will say what Colin Firth is doing is pretty remarkable because he mm-hmm. doesn't look at all like the guy, but as soon as he talks, it's almost uncanny. Like it, like the first episode, I was like, oh, weird. Like I, I knew He's who he so was straight away. Formative yeah, and yeah. so emotive, and yeah, yeah. it it really okay. does mesh with like when when you come guy. back, we will do the full. St- we'll both have watched the entire show when you're you know after a few weeks of you being back, we'll do a proper staircase deep dive there. 
that'll be fun. Very cool. Yeah, I found the staircase documentary. I think it's on Netflix. Um, I don't I think know the follow up on- is on Netflix, not the original. Like when they followed it up a few years later. I don't know if that like first. I may have rented it off Amazon because it was definitely yeah. like ten hours yeah, of me long. deep diving into yeah. it, and I was like, I'm going to watch this, and then I'll go back to the show, and then I was yeah. here, and now I can't get to my HBO. Um, but yeah, it was. I I'm excited to deep dive back into it. it was yeah, no, cool. no, yeah. Even the first episode, as as in, um, and I am still watching in terms of shows. I'll just uh, keep. I will say, The Shining Girls did hold my interest. I'm five, six episodes in, and I'm really into it. This is the one where Jamie Bell's like basically a time traveling stalker of mm-hmm. of different women, but especially Elizabeth Moss. That's all I'll say. And it, I don't know how the time travel works or any of that yet, but it's um, it's very interesting. Um, okay, so the only thing the '90s didn't have that 90s uh four film thing we there was some sort of hint that phil had dropped to me and brian that there might be a ghoulies film so of course we were super excited and then there wasn't so it was like a fake out so all i was craving afterwards is realizing i'd only ever seen ghoulies one and two because they're the ones that were you know vhs when i was a kid and after that it's all straight to video so the one i really wanted to see was ghoulies go to college and uh because i hadn't seen it and let me <gasps> just say go to space uh i don't know if they ever did get to space i, I, I was kidding did. i, was, uh, I, I don't they think did. they did either uh they should have because i'll tell you where they shouldn't have gone in a second but uh, uh ghoulies <laughs> 3 is terrific loved it uh, it is basically a uh, just it's just like a silly college movie that you would have watched even without ghoulies like from the 80s or you know that feels like it's from the 80s but it just happens to have ghoulies it's literally about a dean character played by kevin mccarthy who's the uh the guy from the original invasion of the body snatchers he is uh, a dean or something at this university and he's so against prank week he just can't stand prank week and it ruins him and he, he finds this old comic book a ghoulies comic book at a frat house and he starts reading from it and he summons the ghoulies and by summoning them he's like great i will use you to destroy prank week so so, so the very concept is absurd he then and so, so then yeah he instead of he he decides to utilize the ghoulies to utilize um, the ghoulies to try to for take disciplinarian down, measures yes and unfortunately for him, ghoulies are the ultimate pranksters. So it's like getting the ultimate pranksters to try to play pranks on the frat that is like the main frat. So then the frat is actually really fun. And they're they're like a fun group of like, you know, kids. They're not the jock frat. They're just like their whole thing is doing pranks. And so the ghoulies and them, they're going kind of back to forth. It's like very silly, the drama. But I found it very watchable. And then I think it's because it's um, John Carl Buechler, whose obviously effects are incredible. And these ghoulies look amazing. And the green ghoulie is so fun. And it's such a great iconic. I think this is the ghoulie film. Like if there's one, mm-hmm. this is probably the one I'd say two's good too, but this is probably the one. Um, so that's all I'll say there, but I'm now get ready. I don't ready. know if I've, I've, I don't think I've ever seen two. I've seen ghoulies go to college. I've seen one a bajillion times. Like I could and probably One is recite. always disappointing though. I find. I like one. No, Cause it's all it's satanic like cult stuff and you never get ghoulies. Cult, ghoulies yeah, show I, up. It, it's fun. Yeah. I like I, that I, one. Yeah. I always found that one disappointing. The second one is much more like what I, I think we're kind of being advertised in one. And then this one is mm-hmm. just, that's just crazy fun. Um, oh, really see, I always like one because Jonathan's like ripping out hearts. It's, yeah. you know, kind of fun. I guess it's more like a, it also has a bit of that, like fits in with the metal movies that you like. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like it does fit in with that a bit. Um, it anyway, does. get ready for the hard come down because after this one in 1990 and 94, Ghoulies 4 by Jim Wernowski. I would say this is my least favorite experience of the year so far was watching this movie. <laughs> like it's. 
it just it actually made me sad and depressed by the end because it was so dumb. You can't be sad by a Ghoulies uh, movie. No, Ghoulies Four made me sad, and and it probably for good reason because there's no other Ghoulies movies after this because of this. So ghoulies. that's it. It's like yes. it ends with this bitter taste. Okay, I think here's the thing. I'm watching this movie, going, okay, it can't be bad because it has the Ghoulies in it. Guess who's not in it? Yeah, the Ghoulies aren't in this movie. It's got a couple troll looking things. Uh, How did they not? Did they just not license? They got the little. Ghoulies? They got little people in costumes that aren't even the ghoulie costumes. They look like the troll costumes from the troll movies, and they're really cheesy. And they're just running around being bumbling kind of silly characters. You've got this like jo- you know buffy buff uh, cop character solving crimes, and a, and an occultist out there doing bad things. But it's you know it's a total Jim Wynowski film, of course. And sometimes I like his films, but this one is just it, it really made me sad. And I was like, why didn't they? And the green ghoulie's not even in it. So to me, it's not a ghoulie film without that Aww, character i always like the harry gray one He's, you get a little bit of those smile guys. uh but so i looked this up just before i got on to record because it really i was just like this is a total dud and this is what i said it said the reason that the ghoulies were played by actors in costumes as opposed to puppets was because cinetel films couldn't afford to use the puppet props of the original ghoulies and I therefore yeah because ghoulies it was mgm or vestron it was one of the two yeah vestron um, maybe yeah, and then yeah, I guess if that fourth one is under a different company, that's a, that's down. a dead giveaway that you know it's going to be. And I guess that it is expensive to you know you're not even just paying actors, you're paying puppeteers. Oh yeah, and puppets are going to slow you down. Like that's a whole thing. I can I can no, see Bugler the motivation, but that's a yeah. bad one. Oh, uh, it was bad. It, it really is not a good. Movie. It's just like a hard pass. Um, and I'm I'm sorry. I know somebody's favorite movie. They've got their Ghoulies Four poster that they make love to every night. Uh, but that's fine. They're but making not, love to the poster, not no. somebody else under the poster. There's no one. Trust me. If, to if, the poster. If they have Ghoulies 4 on their wall, there is no one else in that bed. It is just You them. know the old saying, if you walk into somebody's place and they have a Ghoulies 4 poster, don't fuck them. That's <laughs> yeah, all exactly. there. That's it. John Waters said that, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> After this movie, I tried. I, I was like, maybe I need to watch this out with. This is me. This is this is the dark place I went to, uh, and I went on Tubi and watched the first thirty minutes of the Munchies, and then I just gave up on life. I was just hard gave up. I was like, nope, I'm You're out. You're gonna I'm hit out. it up with hobgoblins yep. afterwards. You're no, just doing the little monster deep yeah, dive. I, I we think got I some, was. What was the one? There was another one. Um, There's one just called Munchie. Munchie. One is called Munchie, and the, one is called the Munchies, and one is called Hobgoblin. And no, there's I, one um, that I want to say that Mick Garris was involved in called like Pie Wicket or something like that. Now Ma- I have to Google Mac this. And me. Mac um, and me is aliens. Yeah, um, he looks hold like on. E. I now um, have to Google and see what is the Mick Garris one. I'm trying to remember that. I don't know how involved he was, but it was one that when I first met him, I was like, oh shit, I've seen this movie that you did eons ago um, in the 1980s. But yeah, I feel like he definitely did like a little monster movie at some point that Wonder is escaping cute. Those my are brain. fun because of the, like you said, it's because of the puppets that actually make it fun now, like to watch these movies. And even the, to be honest, the first 30 minutes of Munchies was much better than Ghoulies 4. I just, I, I just realized I was burned out and I didn't know what I was doing anymore. So I had to stop, but it is on Tubi. And also uh, I didn't watch it now, but I did want to remind people from way back in our old Patreon deep cuts, one of the hardest films to find, Na- Neon Maniacs is on Tubi. So I was really surprised to find that on there. So there's some good stuff on there. Yeah. Oh, and nope, it's not Mick Garris. He did Critters too. So he definitely did his stint in the, the little, um, monsters phase, but yeah. Dave Dakota or something. 
Possibly. It was another one. And I can't even remember what it was, but it was another like little monster. And I remember that his heart glowed. Somebody on Twitter, tell me what I'm thinking of. Oh, they um, will. You won't have yeah, to ask Somebody that. tell <laughs> me it was a little hairy dude that like his, I remember his chest glowing. That's, and I probably it watched could be it Munchie. I was like, it wasn't Munchie's. No, it just wasn't. Munchie, though. I singular. Singular is different than Munchie's. That's what it I thought. It was fa- definitely a name, like Pie Wacket, which isn't it. I know that's another horror movie, but it was something like that. And it was like a name of whatever hmm. this creature was. Somebody somewhere is going to be like, oh, shit. Like they're having a brain baby right now because I can't remember the name. Like they're having a full aneurysm going, how uh-huh. can you not remember blank? And so please message me on Twitter, um, tweet at me, tell me what this thing is that I am forgetting here. Um, but I have to, before I get into my, my last, um, watch, I have to mention my cool, um, deep cuts thing that has happened here. So in the film that I'm getting ready to film, which I can't talk too much about, I'll just say that one of the characters is a horror fan. And so we've been decking out their space with like horror merch and posters and things like that. And so I walk into the room um, yesterday when I'm doing the tech scout and hang on the wall very prominently is a Psychopike poster. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if you remember, but I had spoken about the movie Psychopike. Yeah, I remember you mentioned Probably yeah. like a month and a half ago on this show, I had watched it on YouTube about its tiny little Canadian SOV film um, that I had watched about killer pike um in a small like lake community and i am on set and all of a sudden i'm like who put this here did one of you work on this film and all of a sudden this guy he's my graphics guy he's like i was the producer on it i didn't even know if anybody would recognize the film but i wanted to put it in so i now know the producer from psycho pike and immediately hit him with a bajillion questions about that film and was just so excited to meet the producer from psycho Pike. that sounds like a um, patreon extra you can do with just feel- you guys out there I need to interview the producer from Psycho Pike because as soon as I started asking him questions, like we're in the middle of a tech scout, there's 50 people around waiting for us to move on to the next location. And I'm immediately like, what happened with distribution? Do you know, did you shoot it in SOV or did it just end up as like four by three later in post? How are the Pike to work with? And he's like, we'll talk. Uh, um, so get I it feel on record. Like, get it on record. I feel like there's a whole episode here of me talking to Joe Morose, um, producer of Psycho Pike. I love it. Uh, um, also, yeah. <laughs> before you go, before you change topics, I was able to figure out our riddle for the day, which is, and you're actually right, so don't worry, you were you're dead on the the because I went to Letterbox and I wrote little critter movies, and of course somebody has a list of all those little <laughs> creatures, and you are correct that Mick Garris did in fact direct one, uh, but it, for some reason it's not feature length from 1986, a little film called Fuzz Bucket. Fuzz bucket, not pie whack it. Fuzz bucket. <laughs> You're really close. You're <laughs> close. Fuzz bucket. I don't see his heart glowing, but it probably does. Thank you. I, I got Disney. That was it says me. Disney. It says Disney. Fuzz bucket. So that probably came out when I was like five or six because I remember my mom like renting it for me and being like, this will shut you up for an hour and a half uh-huh. or 86 minutes or however long it was. <laughs> and I remember then later when I met Mick Garris looking 
up everything that he had done. Like I knew him from like sleepwalkers and yeah, all yeah, types me of too, stuff. Yeah. Um, but then immediately being like, wait, you fucking made fuzz bucket. Um, which now years later in my brain has become pie whackets, but yeah, cool. But that, yeah, you that's got it, how though. brains work. Y'all. Hey, so we solved fuzz it. Bucket. That's all that matters. It's been solved. <laughs> that makes me feel better. Cause I was like, I know it was Mick Garris. I didn't even see that on his IMDb and I was just really looking. Um, he so paid yeah, that I big don't, money to scrub the internet. <laughs> I don't recall Fuzzbucket being like a winner of a movie. Um, I will I think say you should it rewatch it up there. I, think I it's probably Fuzzbucket may need a rewatch. Yeah. <laughs> um, torture it. my kids through it. Um, anyway, so rounding out, um, you know, I've watched a couple of other things since I've been here, but the uh-huh. one that I am just so excited to talk about, I will go into, which is Dark Secrets of Harvest Home. Now, if you remember, I had briefly mentioned this on our Shutter episode mm. when we were talking very, very briefly about how they were doing all these folk cars in tandem with Severin's folk horror box set. And they were running all these folk cars like Demon and just all of these amazing, you know, Eyes of Fire and all this stuff. And I kind of very offhandedly, and it may have even been off air. I don't even remember if we put this in the show, in the final show. So it may have even been off air. I was like, Oh shit, y'all need to find Dark Secrets of Harvest Home in its entirety because, oh my God, it's good. Now, I had not seen this in probably 20 years having said that, but after I said that on the show, I was immediately like, I'm going to hunt that down and rewatch it. So I was able to find a bootleg version of the full four hour um, television show of Dark Secrets of Harvest Home. This ran in two two-hour segments on television. I don't even know what network it originally premiered on. I saw it probably in the 90s on TNT. Um, And the bootleg I found online was actually taped off of TNT. So this is one of those that is near impossible to find. And I warn you in advance, listeners, if you find a DVD release of it, it is probably only two hours long. So somewhere in like the 2000s, somebody said, let's go ahead and release this to DVD. They took what was a four-hour television broadcast and cut it down to two hours. And Mm. it's basically nonsensical. Um, So you really want to hunt and find the full two hours. Holy shit, this is good. And why somebody like Severin or Screen Factory has not tried to do, I'm sure they have, I'm sure they have, to get like the full licensure of the full four-hour release is beyond wasn't. I think it's part, I mean, I, I've, I've never even heard of this. So, uh, but I think often TV is the problem. Like things that are made for TV are just way harder to license. I believe it because it usually ends up with the network. And especially if you're dealing with somebody like, let's say a major network like NBC, if you decide to call up NBC and be like, you own this tiny little thing from 1978 that played once on your network that we'd really like to license. Like they're not, uh, it's, it's probably going to be a hard ask. And I'm not sure that, you know, they're going to have, I'll say, I'm not sure they're going to have mastering materials. Yeah. I think that's everything else. I think it's the mastering because even classic TV movies, it was like, they weren't stored properly. They were, you know, and so it's, different yeah it's because i always wonder why there isn't like a a streaming channel that's just all the old tv movies because somebody could just Mm that would be a great streaming channel but um anyway okay tell me more i i i'm very curious about this one dark secrets of harvest home it is based on a very well-known book also called dark secret of harvest home um home that is written by tom tryon from 1973 made for tv movie came in 1978 directed by leo penn who is sean penn's dad 
The setup of this is that we have a very New York family. Dad works as an animator um, for this this comic company, but he really hates his job. He just wants to be an artist doing original artwork. And so he and the family, it's him, his wife, and their teen daughter, who's played by Rosanna Arquette, um, pack up from New York and decide to move to this tiny, tiny little New England town. And they get there and they're the outsiders from New York and everybody is so nice and welcoming. And everybody is like, join us. It is planting day. We're going to plant all the seeds. And they've got all these rituals that go along with the town. And it seems very normal. Like it seems small town, but it's very much like this is just what we do in this town. And it's all very folksy and adorable. But you start getting notes that like there are things that are a little off. The matriarch of the town, like she definitely controls the whole town, is played by Betty Davis in honestly one of the best roles I have ever seen her in. She is just a character named Widow and everybody in town calls her Widow. And you get that her husband died under rather mysterious circumstances, you come to learn. But she is very much like controls the whole town. She's also the town doctor, not in the traditional sense of a doctor, but in the very traditional sense of a doctor, as she's a very paganistic doctor Hmm. of grinding up potions and you drink this. And she cures um, the teen girl, Rosanna Arquette's asthma within like a couple of days of being there with some type of tea she has her drink. And so it's very kind of folksy medicine. And throughout this, you start getting these notes of like, well, this is weird. And this ritual is kind of weird. It starts out kind of, you know, with just folksy things like, you know, we we do this thing on planting day or this is our big celebration day. And this is what we always do. And we're going to elect a um, a king of the harvest festival. And he's not allowed to leave for seven years. He's not allowed to leave the town because if he leaves the town, it'll bring misfortune to the town. And so they've got all these kind of weird belief systems. And it just keeps getting weirder and weirder and weirder. This is folk horror at its core. Mm. And it gets to the point where the dad is like, fuck this. These people are weird. There's something seriously evil and sinister going on here. But mom and teen daughter have become so smitten that they're like, I can't believe you want to leave this. Like we live in utopia. Um, it's very, the beliefs of this town are almost kind of Amish, but not like they, they drive cars, they have electricity, but they do not allow any machinery with the farming. All the farming has to be done by hand, like old school. Um, there's a girl in the town that they all believe has the gift of sight. So like this six-year-old, they, they look to, to foretell their futures all the time. So, Hmm. and it just keeps getting weirder and weirder and weirder. Hmm. And it's structured so that it is basically going through a year in the town's life where it goes from, um, it starts with like plowing day and then it goes to planting day and then it goes to choosing of the harvest king and then tithing day and husking. And, um, it, and it leads up to their big harvest night. And it's all within one growing season of this like really weird fucked up town. This is such folk horror. It's pretty bold. I have to say it's pretty like a bold swing for television. Um, There was definitely some racy sex moments in this that I Mm. was not expecting where I was like, she's like naked on that. And you Um, watched it in Canada. And I watched it in Canada (laughs) on a bootleg bootleg, uh, channel I was able to find with it. Um, This it's near impossible to find. Like you can't Mm. find apparently. Apparently it was released to VHS in its full four hour format. That is near impossible to find. And the DVD, like I said, beware because it's only going to be two hours and it's going to be cut to shit. Um, But if you can find this, 
This was awesome and a must for any huh. folk horror fans. Just really cool. So I didn't realize Rosanna Arquette was in a film with Betty Davis, to be honest. <laughs> She's like 16 in it. Um, yeah. Probably younger probably younger in it and yeah it gets she's she's great in it as well um but yeah honestly one of betty davis's best roles as this witch paganistic ballsy um brassy matriarch of this town um Hmm. who's dead set on preserving all of their rituals and not letting this family leave it's just really cool yeah that sounds like Um, saying we well we should ask the people we know who have labels to find out maybe they can find out for us if there's any chance it will ever dark secrets of harvest home this is it sorely needs a good release Cool. Yeah. Uh, well, that's a whole lot of stuff. I have a feeling it will. Get, the next one will be a little sh- less. I think I'll probably only get to watch a couple things by the next one. But oh, you know, I got well, I got know. a couple more reads. I just went to the comic book store here uh-huh. in Winnipeg and picked up like three more graphic novels. So um, hopefully, you're going to get some busy. Stuff to read. I know. Well, this weekend, this weekend is like my calm before the storm. And then once I'm shooting, actually, once I'm, when I was shooting last summer, I ended up, um, I never had time to come back and watch an entire movie. Um, but I watched a lot of television because I was like, I got 45 minutes. I can dive into something. So I ended up watching a lot of TV shows while I was shooting last summer and a lot of great British baking show, which I have discovered there is a great Canadian baking show, which popped up on my Canadian Netflix. So I'm already, um, pretty deep into. The great Canadian baking show. Yeah, it was Italian week last night. I think this week was um, uh, botanical week. So yeah, um, do you watch great British baking show? Uh, I've seen a few minutes of it, but that's it. How? It's like I would just want to eat everything. It's true. And now I'm not like somebody like, who wants to watch food unless I'm going to try food. I like eating. I like the eating. And food. when I watch Great British Baking Show at home, I'm very much like, oh, I'm going to try your how to make your patisse de natas. Um, now that I'm here, I'm like, I just need chocolate because I can't yeah. do anything. But there is like a little convenience store in the lobby of the place that they've got me staying that I've definitely been hitting up for Hershey bars after watching this. Oh, they sell flake bars in every convenience hey, store that's, here. That's, that's, I've that's, thought a, that's about a queen you. thing, man. Queen. That's what the queen. The queen commitment to the queen will get you that flake bar. Queen, you get the flake bar. No, they've got. I've had so many since I got here because they sell them like in the Seven Elevens here. Um, so so many flake bars and twirls. They've had Cadbury twirls. Yeah, Yeah, twirls good too. Twirls like a flake, but with uh, but with uh, chocolate on the top, right? Yes, coating. Yeah, yeah, Um, it's got the chocolate coating. I will challenge you to find one called Violet Crumble. Oh, I've had Violet Crumble. Oh, In the South, it's what we call fairy food, mm. um, where it's like a really aerated malt. It's like a it's like a Whopper, but a little bit more aerated. Now, I've had it. Okay, I'll give you um, a harder love- one then for Canada. Uh, pixie Caramel. Try to tell them you okay. want a Pixie Caramel. Uh, and I've say, been wanting I to try. Um, I don't know if I'm allergic to it or not, but I saw Turkish Delights from Cadbury as well, uh-huh. which reminds me of Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Yeah. And then immediately I was like, well, Weird I will get you next time I need chocolate. <laughs> Yeah, well, ter- oh, Turkish. Oh, yeah, Turkish delight. You're talking about the chocolate, no? Because there's a obviously there's that dessert, Turkish delight, and they are mm-hmm. they're like jelly kind of, but hardened. Okay. They're weird. I don't. I at a guess, I don't think there'd be stuff in there that would be. You'd have to look, but it's not. It's definitely not in the nut family. It's in the weird like gelatin kind of thing. But uh, anyway, okay, it's been like a while jelly bellies or jelly babies. Yeah, those but are the more British like a soft, 
Yeah, it's weird. You'll you'll just have to investigate. This is a journey you'll have to take yourself. I will take this on my own. Yes. I will bring you back some flake bars in my luggage. Hey, so. whatever you, whatever yeah. you can manage. <laughs> I, I, I went. But, I was in Joshua Tree, and there was a Australian bakery, and they had a sausage roll, but it was uh, what's the vegan sausage roll? Like the what's it called? Uh, impossible, not, impossible or beyond impossible, yeah and i split it uh with matt and it was delicious i and i've never I, I don't really eat that kind of meat but that was really good so since my son is vegetarian i have almost entirely switched over to impossible burger at home like we eat mm-hmm. impossible burger all like literally like three nights a week um so it's basically like that is our meat now it's tacos it's meatloaf it's sausage it's what great. is it though um, what's inside impossible meat i think it's mostly coconut whatever it oh. is it's not nut or bean because i'm not mm, allergic to okay. it um so whereas a lot of the fake meats tend to have kind of like a pea bean. or a nut yeah, base bean, yeah. So, yeah but anyway, i can eat impossible burger it, and this it, is what you get on our patreon show guys this is what you pay been, for it wouldn't have been a deep cuts if we hadn't ended <laughs> with say, something like we were that. keeping it real straight so yeah. far and it yeah. hadn't divulged into yeah. like what we ate for dinner yeah. or what our kids are watching or anything like slowly that. Slowly backing just- away. This is too straight. This is too straight. We had to go into weird British candy for a stretch. Um, Speaking of which, I'm now going to walk down to that little convenience store and Uh buy myself a flake bar and a Diet Coke. Yes, send me a picture. Send me a photo of the flake bar in action. And uh, we'll we'll try to do this a couple more times during this uh, crazy period. And before you go, have you been watching the new Kids in the Hall? I saw that it was up and I saw your post about it, but I haven't seen it yet. You need well. First off, Dave Foley started following me based on that post, which was oh, like eleven-year-old nice. or uh, like eleventh-grade me, like yeah. completely freaking out that Dave yeah. Foley started following me on Twitter. Um, but you need to watch it. There is okay. so much like horror notes in it. Um, especially the second episode is the one that I had tweeted about that I thought was so brilliant, which is um, the Doomsday DJ. Uh-huh. But there are. It's just. It, it's classic kids in the hall, but it's a little darker. Like they've definitely got some dark horror comedy notes going on. There's one with Shakespeare that like is total dark horror comedy. It's hilarious. Um, with like full trauma ish blood geysers. Um, it's very Shakespearean in that capacity, but yeah, you need to watch it. It's, it's honestly like they're back and maybe even a little bit better. Oh, fun. Okay. I'll wait till I'm at my darkest point in the next few weeks, and then I'll, I'll watch something to cheer me up like that. Um, the second episode, the one that I tweeted about, which then EW even did, Clark did a write-up on that particular um, segment today and even like put my tweet in it, so now it's like being spread even more. Um, but that one, it, it's dark. It's okay. it's funny, but it's dark. And it's the runner segment where it begins, you come back to it midway through, and then it ends the entire episode as well. So it runs through the whole thing. And it's it's honestly brilliant. Like, he should win an Emmy for it. So, yeah, okay. if you guys have not been watching, New Kids in the Hall is fucking amazing. All right. I'm sold. Um, thank you all for listening and your support during our away period. Uh, we love We love that you're still here listening to our weird stuff. Yes, thank you guys so much. Have an awesome week. We'll talk to you soon. The Colors of the Dark podcast is a Fangoria production. Producers and co-hosts are Rebecca McKendry and Elric Kane. Executive producers are Tara Ainsley and Abby Gould. Associate producer is Jessica Soth of Amir. Sonic branding by Michael Rodriguez. And, of course, our amazing sound engineer, Ernie Hurtado.